Alrighty, everyone. Welcome back. This is another podcast from the Rare Petro Network, and I am Tavis Killian bringing another episode of Monday Madness on May 3rd, 2021. Instead of April showers bringing May flowers, it seems that we have an extension to the showers. Started late last night and should last through the entire day. I, for one, am excited. The hills of golden always look so green and vibrant after the rain. Who knows? Perhaps 2020 was the rain for the oil and gas industry, and 2021 will be the bright sunny day breaching through the clouds. Oops. Sorry, I got carried away there. I know you didn't come here for my metaphorical musings. You came here to hear the hottest news and statistics regarding the industry, and gosh darn it, I'm going to give them to you. First things first, WTI pricing. Despite some rather mediocre statistics in recent weeks, the price is climbing. As of writing this podcast script, the price seems to have settled in the low $64 range after some regular Monday morning volatility. Those estimates of $70 to $80 barrels aren't sounding too far off now, especially considering places like India are still getting hammered with lockdowns and restrictions. Another thing to note, crypto markets are also doing incredibly well, but conventional stock market indicators show little to no change. Just some extra food for thought. As for the WTI price, I've scoured the web looking for some big factors, but it really seems like it's just people hopeful for returning demand. Some places are lifting travel restrictions, but that should only affect fuel consumption minimally. Ultimately, you want to keep an eye close on pricing because, yeah, it's on the right side of the scale, but only just barely. A single event could tip that scale either way, and I think prices would be incredibly sensitive. Next, of course, is the rig count. Last week, you will remember we saw our second negative change this year. Of course, it was only a drop of one rig, which is no biggie. This week, however, we see a two-rig increase, bringing that total to 440 rigs. May not sound big, but let me put it this way. This week alone offsets all the negative weeks for the year of 2020. That's right, the record low is negative one, and it happened twice. Perhaps a statistic of more notable significance is that the year-over-year -year rig count is finally positive. Shout out to Kevin Olson here at Rare Petro for pointing that out to the team. If you weren't aware, it had been declining for quite some time. It peaked at 1,083 rigs back in the final week of 2018 and has more or less fallen every week all the way through 2020. As if that general downward trend wasn't bad enough, you'll remember that 2020 came and went leaving us at a minimum of 244 rigs in the middle of August. That's a difference of 839 rigs in just about 20 months. Thankfully, when you set lows like that, it's much easier to surmount it when things get better. Now that price and demand is recovering, our rig count continues to increase. This greatly contrasts the crash in pricing and rig count we saw a year ago today, and that, my friends, is why we are finally at a positive year-over-year -year count. Like I said, maybe 2020 was the rain, and 2021 is the sun. If we break things down on a basin-by-basin -basin level, we see that the Permian was yet again the biggest loser as it dropped two rigs. Most other basins saw no change, but our favorite underdog was this week's winner of just actually the first place basin as they saw a single rig increase. Happy to see that, but still strange to see a second week of Permian rig losses. Perhaps they added too much too quickly and activity is starting to slow down, or perhaps people finally have their hands full with new wells and are directing all of their attention to that. Either way, a good week for the rig count. To wrap up the statistics section, we will be discussing domestic inventories. Again, trying to make a dent in the massive 40 million barrel build that we saw a little over a month ago, and things haven't been going that well. A new report from the API predicted a build of nearly 400,000 barrels, 
but it turns out they were off by a magnitude of 10, as it was a build of 4.3 million barrels in their books. The EIA, on the other hand, overpredicted a build of 660,000, when in reality they reported a 90,000 barrel build. Regardless of if you over or under predicted, they both predicted a build, and a build we saw. While this is incredibly undesirable, you have to remember prices are continuing to climb, further reinforcing Rare Petro's bullish predictions. What happens when we finally go back to a reasonable demand of fossil fuels and deplete our inventories? I would predict that the price would go higher. Then again, I have no clue why prices rise despite these builds, so again, there are many factors at play. Remember, if it isn't a fundamental factor, it could be financial, geopolitical, or technical. If we look at some of our refined products, we see propane inventories saw little change and continue to hug the lower quartile of their five-year history. Distillates continue to sit happily in the middle of their five-year historic range, and gasoline again goes sideways. I'm telling you folks, I still believe gasoline is at a very sensitive point and a single week could drastically change what we pay at the pump. I mean, you can already see the writing on the wall, well, the writing on the internet, rather, with headlines like rising gas prices for the summer, this and that. Just keep an eye on it. That finally wraps up all of our statistics for the week. I know it was kind of a short section, but things have been relatively mild lately. Lots of changes close to zero, and for all of you fellow residents of the United States that are listening, lots of waiting on policymakers to give the green light for many things oil and gas. Still, little change is better than a change for the worse, so at least we've got that going for us. Next up, the biggest headlines that have popped up recently, starting with someone we've been talking about a lot lately, China. Most of you know that when oil got cheap last year, China bought up a ton of the stuff. They also continued to build coal-fired powered plants that raised their capacity by roughly 30 gigawatts in the year of 2020 alone. Despite being members of the Paris Agreement, it's fair to say that China is a big fan of fossil fuels, so it should come as no surprise that their natural gas consumption is set to increase another 10% on year-over-year -year totals. According to a senior PetroChina gas executive, China's demand for natural gas will be driven by the utility sector at gas-fired power plants to back their renewable sector. Even though China has a renewable capacity of roughly 900 gigawatts, capacity again, three times more than the United States has, they know that they need reliable sources of energy to back up the supplemental renewables. In 2020, China consumed 11.5 trillion, that's trillion with a T as in tango, cubic feet of natural gas. Again, that is only set to grow. Of that gas, about 60% was sourced domestically and the rest was imported. Even though China is attempting to invest more in natural gas production, they will still need to import lots of that gas. Their domestic production is expected to grow about 5%. State-owned PetroChina will be producing a majority of that gas, with Beijing-based Sinopec picking up some of the slack. To sum things up, China is consuming more and more fossil fuels at an incredible pace. The funniest part of this article I found is the mention of a poll that showed there was a huge shared concern in China's energy industry. That concern? Demand growing slower than it should be. That's right, I'm out here throwing out statistics like 10% growth and units like trillions of cubic feet, and these guys are worried that the demand might outpace the supply. Just another reason to be bullish, I suppose. Our next story revolves around a study from the University of California regarding electric vehicles. The study looked at drivers who purchased electric vehicles between 2012 and 2018, or relatively long-term owners. The study found that nearly a fifth of EV drivers in California have switched back to gasoline cars because charging was just too much of a hassle. While the group who switched back to internal combustion engines was a minority at only 18%, 
That is still a significant number, especially when you consider that 20% of hybrid vehicle owners switched back as well. The biggest problem, of course, goes back to charging. Let's break it down a bit, shall we? Chargers are classified in three different categories. We've got level one, level two, and direct current fast EV chargers. Let's start with the best. DC fast chargers are the chargers you see along interstates or within large charging lots or in big tech centers. Puts out a whopping 480 or more volts along with 100 or more amps, allowing someone to charge their EV in 30 minutes to one hour. These are the stations that often get the most attention as they make sense and justify the ownership of an electric vehicle. Assuming that your vehicle is even compatible with this type of charger, as many are not. Our next charger, the Level 2, can be used personally, but usually requires the installation of a 240 volt power circuit, which is double the voltage of your typical power outlet. Pricey to install, yes, but worth it as it can deliver anywhere from 16 to 40 amps of power output, which equates to roughly 14 to 35 miles of range per hour, which is not nearly as good as direct current fast chargers, but still doable if you use the car daily, and at around $600, not too bad. Lastly, we've got one of the most common methods of charging, the level one charger. That's the sort of charger you plug into your garage outlet that supplies 120 volts of electricity, kind of looks like your laptop charger with that brick in the middle. This charger provides between 12 to 16 amps of continuous power, which equates to a measly 3.5 to 6.5 miles of range per hour. If you drive a car any more than 40 to 50 miles per day, this method is simply unfeasible with this charger as you don't have enough time between commutes to effectively charge the car. Anecdotal evidence sourced from participants shows that this was the biggest turnoff. I read an account from another fellow on a forum that claimed the exploding popularity of EVs meant that his go-to charging stations that he could use a couple years ago are now often occupied, many times by a hybrid vehicle that really only needs 30 minutes or so to fully charge, leaving the user's vehicle in a danger zone of too little range as he could sometimes only charge his home at night, and, as we just discussed, that is not always feasible for some owners, especially daily commuters. Again, 20% isn't the majority, but it is significant. If anything, this just highlights the required emphasis needed for a focus on more electric infrastructure. California has the most charging locations, yes, but they have a ratio of 25.7 electric vehicles to charging outlets as of 2019, and I imagine that is only further exacerbated as time goes on. Could be worse, though. Jersey has a ratio of 34.8 EVs to charging outlets. So this just highlights, hey, there's still going to be fuel demand. And even if there wasn't fuel demand, we're still going to have to extract all of the minerals and resources required to build EVs, charging stations, and other associated infrastructure. Phew, it was quite the deep dive on EVs. But again, Rare Petro is all about learning, especially with topics that we may not be so familiar with. If you want to keep learning about the energy industry from a perspective of commodities, markets, politics, or really any other reason, you will definitely want to subscribe to the podcast. I'm sorry, you don't want to. You need to. It's easy to listen to and makes you look that much better than the rest of your competitors within the industry. If you want to get your hands dirty with some of the data that we look at every day, go to redpetro.com to find a page compiling our favorite useful links. While you're there, you can find a ton of our other research and services. Again, this is Tavis Killian with Rare Petro, and until we see you next time, take care, everybody.